Luke chapter 11. I'm glad to be in church tonight. Amen. I'm glad that God's word is going to be lifted up tonight. Amen. Lift up God's word in our hearts. I hope you come with a hungry heart tonight because there's some teaching I want you to get this evening to be very helpful. Now, if you listen tonight, this is a passage that's often read, seldom preached, probably not understood. And I purposely, I was, I was preparing, I was studying a few weeks ago, and uh, it was actually my devotions, and the Lord just started working on my heart between Luke 11 and Luke 18. And He's still working on my heart on it. And there's some other things on that that God's doing. And uh, as I was planning out just when I'm going to be preaching from Isaiah 7, which I preached from this morning, this goes right in line with that. And I have to tell you tonight, I, I, I think for me and you and most Christians, in fact, I'm going to say I think just about probably 99% of all Christians, the area of our Christian life we are weakest in and we need to work the most at is our prayer life. It's our prayer life. Now, we think we know how to pray, but we don't. And we think... We get a sporadic answer here and a sporadic answer there that we're getting hold of God. But we have not tapped heaven's resources. We've not learned how to unlock the door of heaven. And if you'll listen tonight with an open heart and a spirit of meekness, whatever your impossible situation is, right here tells you how it will get answered. Right here. But it's not what you think it is. It's not what you think it is. You have to understand where Jesus is coming from on this. And he's not done. When we get to verse 13, he's not done there. Because he he knows that those people didn't get it. And he brings it up again in chapter 18. And so tonight, I'm asking God to work in our church. That we learn a principle about prayer. As I said earlier, it's seldom preached. Most often, not understood. We need to grasp this principle tonight, that God would have his way in our hearts. And I'll tell you, if you go back and read some of the old journals of the George Mueller's, the David Brennard's, and the John Praying Hyde's, the Adonam Judson's, and the Hudson Taylor's, and even Paul. In fact, Jesus practices. This This is why he taught it. This is why he taught it. If we'll catch this principle, it will change us in a way that we'll never, we'll be thankful that God changed us. Now, we may think we know how to pray. We don't know how to pray. We don't know how to pray. We have yet to get out of the nursery of prayer. Now, I don't know about you. I'm convicted about that. Amen. I mean, God came to Ahaz this morning. I said that this morning. He came King Ahaz. He said, look, okay. Syria and Israel are confederate. He called them two smoking tails. They're coming after you. But he said, take heed, be quiet, and fear not. He said, I'm in control of this situation. He said, if you don't believe this, he said, it won't happen. 
And as God is talking to Ahaz, you have to remember where Ahaz, Ahaz is at. I said this this morning. Geographically, he's up at the upper pool. He's there trying to protect his water resource from being closed off or attacked by these two confederate nations. That's what you did. You want to win a war? Attack their food source. What do you think God's doing in China right now? God's in control. You think you're, you're not in control. God will take your food source. He'll shut the heavens up. I mean, the economy in China right now, just in one month, is going to be upside down. The airlines industry is going to be all messed up. You better dump your stock, amen? <laughs> I, I'm just telling you tonight, I mean, God's in control. And he, so, but he saw, he looked at Ahaz while Isaiah's up there talking to him. And by the way, Isaiah brought his son, Jehoshaphat, Jeho- I don't even know how to say that here, whatever. He brought his son up there. His son's name means this, a remnant shall return. And by his son's very name was telling them that, listen, God's in control. And Ahaz here is getting, he's been told, you don't have to worry about this. God is going to take care of this. Stop messing with your water supply. You don't have to worry about your water supply. God's in control. And he said, here's what I want you to do, Ahaz. Ask me, ask me and I will show thee a sign. Ask me of heaven above, earth beneath. In other words, open checkbook. No ceiling, no bottom. What a great invitation, amen. He said, I will not ask. Neither will I tempt the Lord. That's, that's our problem. We don't ask. We don't ask. You have not because you ask not. But that's not our problem in this passage tonight. I want you to read with me this evening. I'm going to tell you a few things, and I'm going to get right into the message tonight. And I hope you take some good notes because it will help you tonight. Look at verse 1. And it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he seized. By the way, he hasn't seen. Now he's in heaven. He ever liveth to make intercession. Amen. But when he seized, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John also taught his disciples. And underline this phrase, and he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, I want you to watch what's going on here. In verse 1, write this in your margin. It's not my message, but I want you to understand what's going on. In verse 1, Jesus is giving us the example in prayer. He's praying. You're not an example of prayer if you're not praying. He's giving the example, in fact, the supreme example of prayer. When Jesus was praying, I would have, I, I, I just, if I was one of the disciples those days, I probably would want to stand there with my mouth open just listening to him pray. I don't think there could be any more beautiful than hearing Jesus pray. Amen. Amen. One of the disciples is exasperated. We see an exasperation about prayer. He's thinking, if I could just pray like that. 
And so he said in verse 1, Lord, teach us to pray. So number one, we see the example of prayer. Notice number two in verse, verses two to three, to verse two to four, he gives us the explanation for prayer. He explains to them how to pray. He gives them a pattern for prayer. Okay? Now he's not telling us that's what we should pray. He's giving us, he's giving us, he's saying, and when you say, he says, make sure you incorporate these principles these things into your praying. That's what he's saying there, okay? Didn't, now, that, now, some would say, well, that's the Lord's prayer, and we're supposed to say that. That's the, you know, but here, here's the problem. If you just do that in, that in that mode, that leads to vain repetitions. That leads to vain repetitions, okay? That's not the kind of praying. God doesn't want you and I into vain repetitions. That's Matthew chapter 6, okay? He's giving us a pattern how to pray. So that means for some who are struggling learning how to pray, he's showing you the principles of how to pray. That's what he's teaching you, okay? He's also teaching you that God is approachable. You don't have to be afraid of God, okay? Now, here's, here's our principle we're going to look at tonight. We see an example. We see an explanation. But we see the extreme. The extreme in prayer. This is not the kind of praying. Because they at the disciple asks, teach us to pray. Teach us how to have consistent answers. Teach us how to pray so that we unlock heaven's door. That's what he's asking there. Teach us how to pray like you just prayed. And so notice, I told you underline that phrase, he said unto them. Now he's transitioning. And as he transitioned to verse 5, he said unto them. Now he's, he's taking them another level up. Which of you... And again, he's using, he's using an analogy, a metaphor that was taking a principle and, and, and blazing it, making it very colorful to them. Which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine is in his journey, is come to me. And have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, trouble me not. Circle the word trouble. Underline this phrase. The door is now shut. And my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. Now listen to what he says here. I say unto you. Now he's, he's taking the new level. Did you, did you see what he's doing there? I say unto you, he's making an emphatic statement here. Though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. Now, while we're here, the title of the message comes from right out of verse 8. Because of his importunity. I'm going to define importunity tonight. I want you to embrace importunity. That's a Bible term. That's a Bible principle. That's a Bible exercise. It's the one word that opens heaven's door. And notice this. He will give him, would you notice this phrase, as many as he needeth. As many as he needeth. And I said to you, now he's, he's raising another notch up. He said unto them, he said unto them, I say unto you, and notice now he's driving it home. He's coming to the end of his message. He's on his last point. And this is the point you don't want to miss. And I say unto you, 
I say unto you, ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Listen to verse 10 very carefully. For everyone that asketh receiveth. And he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh. Now remember earlier, I'll say this, you'll see in a little bit here. We're talking about a closed door. And someone that needs to knock to get that door open. And to him that knocketh it shall be open. And then he drives it home further by closing it up by saying, using, uh, 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 using an analogy or using a picture that just drove it right home to them. If a son trusts bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Of course not. That's inconsistent with the nature of a father. Or if you ask a fish, you know, his basic need, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Of course not. Would you do something harmful to your own child? Absolutely not. Or if you ask an egg, <coughs> will you offer him a scorpion? Of course not. And of course, you listen to these audience, they're thinking, well, of course not, Jesus. Of course not. Notice verse 13. If ye then, being evil, in other words, being sinful, having limitations, and the evil, I think, is implying the sin of prayerlessness. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children. And would you notice this phrase? How much more? How much more? Sure, Heavenly Father, give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him. Father, tonight we took a little bit of time just to kind of just lay the groundwork. Help us tonight. And simply, Lord, teach us to pray. Would you help your people that you love, the sheep of your pasture, to embrace, to love, and to exercise the principle of importunity? What it is, how to do it, and why it's important. And Lord, as I start tonight, forgive us for the sin of prayerlessness. Forgive us for little faith. Forgive us that we have an Ahaz syndrome. For as many times we'll say, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. Father, I pray that you love your congregation through the principles being taught tonight. And yet, Lord, I pray at the same time, I pray you shake us up. I pray you light a fire under us. I pray that you change us, change me. As we look at this principle of knocking so that it shall be opened. Well, thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It just works out, as I've been preaching Sunday mornings on this series through Isaiah, that we come upon a particular principle. I just felt like to do um, it would be a disservice to that particular biblical principle just to take a Sunday morning and give one thought and not continue it on. And as I was praying and considering uh, this week uh, for Isaiah chapter 7, actually a couple of weeks ago, 
you know, I just felt impressed. I just needed to go a little bit further, and we're just doing that. I, I do promise I'll be back in the series on Revelation. I wasn't intending for two weeks to get off it, but I just felt really led of the Lord that I, I just needed to continue this thought just so I could drive home some principles and help us to be a little bit more understanding. And last week, we looked at uh, the God who's holy, and today, tonight, we're, as we, we did this morning, we're looking at the God who answers prayer. And, uh, you know, I want to start off by just saying, you know, we're, we're, you know, God wants to answer our prayers. Amen. And God, God gives us many principles that, that and, and promises in the word of God that teaches us that he wants us to pray and to come before him. And uh, God is a God who answers prayer. And he tells in Jeremiah 33, 3, call unto me and I'll answer thee and show thee great mighty things which thou knowest not. Uh, Jabez was a man who was given to prayer. He prayed and said, oh, that thou wouldst bless me indeed and enlarge my coast and that thy hand may be upon me that it may not see evil. And the Bible says the Lord granted him that which he requested. Uh, we know that Jesus told us in John chapter 14 that we're to pray in his name. And he said, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If he said, if you ask anything in my name, that will I do. We know that, uh, that uh, God tells us over and over and over again the importance of prayer. We see prayer is emphasized from Genesis all the way through Revelation. And so tonight we're looking at this principle of importunity. I said earlier, we saw in verse 1, Jesus gives us an example in prayer. He, is, he himself is praying and his disciples are listening to him pray and they're following him in prayer. In verses 2 to 4, Jesus gives the explanation for prayer. He explains to them the important elements of praying. We ought to pray for God's will to be done. We ought to praise the Lord in heaven. One of our good members today uh, just sent me a message right before the service. They said, thank you for today's message. And they said, well, you know, this is how I pray in the morning. Is that okay? And a lot of people like to use the, the acronym or the acrostic acts, which is fine. You know, where acts basically is an acrostic for praying, where the letter A stands for adoration. You start off your prayer time by praising God and adoring Him and honoring Him. And we should do that. I think it's appropriate to start off our time by thanking God for who He is. I think it's rude of us to start our prayer time just coming off, uh, coming off like, like a bull in a china shop, where you just come right into there and say, well, God, I need you to do this, and God, I need you to do that. And that's not how we should approach God. I mean, He's our Heavenly Father. Amen. He's the God of all heaven. We need to take some time to let Him know we appreciate all that He's done and thank him for trials in our life and difficulties we have and we need to start by adoring him and then you shift from the the word adoration to the word confession we take time then to just realize that before god we are nothing before god and we must confess our sins to him and how many understand today that he that covers his sins shall not prosper amen if you cover your sins you're not going anywhere you want you know it's just it's your, your prayer is an abomination that's what he says in proverbs 28 9 he says your prayer is an abomination if you don't if you cover your sins there and so we must confess and then we you know we have thanksgiving we thank the lord for things and then we get the letter s and the letter s stands for supplication we take time to bring our prayers before god now supplication goes deeper in your prayer time supplication where you take an event and you just pray over that and you spend some time asking god and then you just you stop and realize you don't have the words to really articulate really while this needs to be said and you just wait on the holy spirit as he moves on you and gives you the words to pray so you can articulate before god what to pray the bible says we're to pray in the holy ghost and so tonight as you, I want you to put yourself in the place of these disciples. These disciples were, were, were just, they were craving to learn how to pray. They prayed, but they didn't pray like he prayed. They didn't, they, 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 they just knew they weren't getting a hold of God. And they just knew that, that their prayers were just seemed like they weren't reaching to heaven. And they felt like they, they just couldn't, they couldn't unlock heaven's door. I, I, I read a story. It's kind of a humorous story about a, a Sunday school, uh, a Sunday school teacher. She was a temporary teacher. And one of those teachers that kind of, um, it was kind of a, a floater between different children's classes. And so this, this this particular class needed her to come in and she came in and she really didn't really prepare herself for this class. And so she needed some supplies. And so the, she had to go outside the room 
uh, out in the hallway. It was a small little Sunday school building. And in the hallway, there was a big cabinet, but they had a, they had a padlock on the cabinet to lock it up so people just wouldn't freely help themselves to things. And the teacher started, looked at the, ca- that the padlock, and she realized, I don't have the combination. I don't know how to get this open. I don't know what to do. And she was getting a little frustrated with herself because she needed to get some children's supplies out of there. And uh, just as she was about to get really frustrated about what to do, the pastor kind of turned the corner, came out. She said, oh, pastor, so good to see you. She said, I don't know the combination to the Sunday school cabinet. Can you open the cabinet for me and help me to, to get in it? He said, sure, I can do that. And so the pastor goes up to the cabinet. He looks at the, it's a three combination lock. And so he starts turning it around, turning around to loosen it up. And then he turns once to the right, gets the number, turns once to the left, gets the number. And then he just looks at the padlock and he's just staring at it because kind of, for a moment, and there's the silence, and the pastor looks up into the ceiling, and he starts moving his lips, and she says, wow, he's praying, he's asking God to give him the last number, he must have forgot the number, and he's just up there, and he's going like this, he's looking at the padlock, he's moving his lips and looking around, and then he comes back down, and he turns it the other way, and the padlock opens, he opens it up, and he says, here you go, she says, oh, pastor, I'm amazed at you, you, have, you must be a great man of prayer, you must know how to pray, he said, no, ma'am, I looked up there because the combination is up on the ceiling, I had to look at the ceiling to find the combination. Now, a lot of us wish we had the combination to open heaven's door, but the truth, the truth of the matter is, God wants us to open the doors of heaven every time we pray. God wants us to get a hold of Him and see what He's able to do. And we notice here, in this passage of Scripture, these disciples are asking Jesus to teach them how to pray. Now, more than how to pray, it was how to unlock heaven's door. How many of you can say tonight, you want God to answer your prayers? Amen? How many would say tonight, you not only want God to answer his prayers, you want God to answer your prayers consistently, amen? And you want God to do great, mighty things. How many of you have an impossible situation in your life right now? How many have somebody very difficult that you're praying to get saved, and you've been praying for more than a year, and they're not saved? How many feel like the Bay Area is a very difficult place to minister, and you're just praying that God would bless our efforts and use us for his glory, but we just feel like we're hitting our head against the wall sometimes? Amen. OK, I'm just being mean. Just I want you to be truthful and honest with me. OK. And Jesus teaches not how not how to pray, but how to get results from God. I want you to notice tonight these principles that lead to importunity. Are you ready? Number one, I want you to see the relationship in prayer. Jesus is praying. This disciple wants to learn how to pray. And he wants to know how to get answers to prayer. And by the way, how many believe when Jesus prayed, he saw answers all the time? The Heavenly Father is intervening, and that's why they wanted to learn how to pray, okay? This disciple wanted to pray so that he could see God work in the most extreme situations in his life. Spurgeon said this, listen to this. He who knows how to overcome with God in prayer has heaven and earth at his disposal. That's a great thought. He who knows how to overcome with God in prayer has heaven and earth at his disposal. Now, the first thing we see is the relationship in prayer. We must understand as we get to this matter of importunity, the relationship in prayer. Number one, we have our heavenly father. Would you look at verse two? We have the paternity in prayer. We have our father that we pray to. There's the relationship of a father. Now, notice what he says here. When you pray, say, our father, which art. In heaven, notice in verse 13, if ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly father? There's the paternity in prayer as our father. 
He listens to us. As our Father, He has time for us. As our Father, He loves us. As our Father, He wants us to pray. As our Father, there's nothing He cannot do. As our Father, He knows what we need. As our Father, He is all-knowing. As our Father, He is our Heavenly Father. He's not a human Father that has limitations. He's not a human Father that has limited resources. He is a Heavenly Father that has unlimited resources for you and I. As heirs of God and joint heirs of Christ, we can cry out, Abba, Father. As adopted sons of God, we can come to our Heavenly Father in prayer. He is our everlasting Father. He's the Father of lights in whom there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. How many glad tonight God is not flaky? Amen? How many glad tonight God is consistent, He's faithful in what He does? He is a Father who pities us. As a Father pities His children, so does God our Father pity us. He's the Father of glory, according to Ephesians 1.17. He is God our Father. We must understand tonight, the very first thing about the relationship is that our relationship is founded upon a Heavenly Father. Stories told of a, of a, one of the, one of the ancient kings back in the year, the days gone by, back in, back in Europe there. A king was in his council room, sitting there with all of his men, and they were discussing some strategies, probably about a war strategy there, or de- dealing with one of their adversaries, and they were deep in conversation, and they could hear outside, it was one of those big, those big, big double doors, and those, those kind of round, round doorknobs that you, you, you had, kind of had to hold and pull them back forth, and they heard the, the squeaking noise of this, this rustic metal that was on there, and and they knew somebody was trying to get in, but the king just kept on talking because he had some guards and sentries guarding the door. And he heard some commotion. <coughs> and he heard these the, the, the guards trying to stop something from going on. And then the door swung open. As the door swung open, a little boy got his way past the guards and past the sentries and ran all the way over there to, 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 the, uh, to the king. The king saw him, and the guards tried to stop him. They said, stop, stop. You can't bother the king in his council chambers. You can't bother the king while he's in business. And the little boy turned around, it was the king's son, and he said this, he may be your king, but he's my daddy. And I remind you tonight, he's our king, but he's also your daddy. He's also your father in heaven. He always has time for you. There's never a closed door to the child of God who wants to come to his father. We see tonight the father in the relationship, but go down a little bit further with me tonight. We also see a friend in this relationship. Did you see that tonight? We also have a friend in this relationship. Jesus is teaching a principle. Notice what he says here. Which of you shall have a friend and shall go to him at midnight and say unto him, friend, lend me three loaves. Now, he's not a friend that's kind of a buddy-buddy and we hang out with him and we joke with him, things like that. He is the friend of all sinners. He is the friend who sticketh closer than a brother. How many glad about that tonight? Amen? He's a friend that sticketh closer to brother. And when he talks about a friendship, he's talking about a very close associate, a very close companion. In fact, it has the same idea as the friend of the bridegroom. Someone that is held with great trust. Someone that you would trust your life with. Someone that will never disappoint you. Someone who's always there for you. Someone who has resources beyond yours. Prayer is going to a mighty friend. And notice this, on behalf of another friend. Would you notice that there? He comes to me and says, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me. Did you fathom that tonight? As we go to prayer, we're going to a friend who has unlimited resources. We're going to a friend who is mighty. We're going to someone that we know on an intimate, personal level. And as we go to him, we're representing, we're representing another friend who has a need. The one who's going in prayer is not the one who has need. It's the one who came to him that has a need. And we're go, we're the in-between. We're the one supplicating, praying. We're taking one friend and bringing him to another friend. What a great privilege in prayer. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. Amen. 
We're going to a friend. We must not forsake and, 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 and cast aside the fact there's a relationship and friend in, in this, in, in this, in this, in this, uh, there's a relationship we have. He's a friend in this relationship. He's a friend who's approachable. He's a friend who never, out, who's never beyond us. It's kind of what, what Solomon said in the Song of Solomon or the Shunammite woman said. She says, this is my beloved and this is my friend. And that's who we have in Jesus Christ. So number one tonight, we see a relationship in prayer. But notice number two, we see a restriction in prayer. Now, the reason why he's teaching them how to pray and the reason why he was asked to pray, because someone there, this disciple, had a restriction. He was not seeing answers to his prayer. In fact, if anything, he felt like heaven was like brass. He felt like the earth beneath, that nothing opened up, and the heaven above him, nothing was opening up. He felt like his prayers were not going anywhere. Now, I want to ask you tonight, are you at a place in your Christian life your prayers are not going anywhere? Are you at a place in life right now that you feel like you prayed for a long time and nothing's happening? By the way, there's something wrong with us if we go long seasons of prayer and we're not seeing answers. There's something with our spiritual life. If we're going long seasons of prayer, we're not seeing answers. There's something wrong with our spiritual life and we're not seeing daily answers and consistent answers. And even if you study the old warriors of prayer, they were seeing minute by minute answers from God. I'm saying tonight, there's something wrong with our spiritual life if we're not able to tap the resources of God and see God do all that He wants to do. And so what is tonight? We see this, we see a restriction. Notice verses 5, 6, and 7. And He said unto them, now notice how Jesus starts off this, this story, this colorful story to help explain to them prayer. Which of you shall have a friend and shall go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. And would you notice verse six for a friend of mine in his journey. And by the way, anybody we pray for is always on a journey. Listen, but brother AJ, those teenagers you work with, they're on a journey. They need to find the will of God. Brother Erwin, those, 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 those college students you work with, they're on a journey. They need to stay in the will of God. They need to find it. All of us here tonight, you're on a journey. You're on a, you're, you walk by faith and not by sight. You're on a journey. The question is, what path are you following on that journey? And so we notice here, he says, I have a friend on his journey who's come to me. He's come to me. Now listen, it is an honor anytime someone says to us, would you pray for me? It is an honor for us to pray for someone else. For a friend has come to me in his journey. And, but you notice this man to whom this friend came to. He said, no, what you notice verse 6, I have nothing to set before him. Now restriction number one, we see a handicap. The man who is the host to a friend that came to him, is handicapped. And I don't say it in a bad way, in the sense of, of demeaning anybody who's disabled. He's handicapped. By his own statement. By his own words. I have nothing to set before him. And I want you to understand tonight, we are handicapped. We have nothing. We are nothing. We have nothing as far as God's concerned. Listen, until we get to the place of realizing we have nothing and we are nothing and we can do nothing, we're going nowhere in prayer. We're handicapped. This man said, I have nothing. And by the way, how me understand tonight? It is not our programs that saves people. And it's not our events that saves people. It is not our programs that builds a church. And it's not my preaching that builds a church. And it's not my articulation that builds a church. And it's not your articulation that builds a church. And it's not the seats that build the church. And it's not the buildings that build the church. God builds his church. And God builds his people. And God saves souls. And God answers prayer there. Randicap. We better be careful in this Laodicean age we're at. Rich and increase with goods and having need of nothing. The Bible says we have nothing. 
This man had somebody knock on his door and he came to realization, I can't help that man. I want you to understand tonight. You and I cannot help any sinner. You and I cannot help somebody that's in depression. You and I cannot help help somebody that has cancer. You and I cannot help somebody who's had a bad, bad situation. You and I cannot help somebody who's got a marriage that's falling apart. And you and I cannot help somebody whose life is all upside down. Listen, you and I cannot help somebody who's got an unsafe spouse. You and I have nothing before God. This man realized he was handicapped. But notice a second restriction. We find that in verse 7. We see a handicap, but notice verse 7, we see a hindrance. And he from within. Now the man went to a neighbor next door. He's a good friend. He's a good friend. When it says friend, it's not like us. We loosely use the term, uh, he's a friend of mine. No, 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 no. I mean, this is a good friend. A really good friend. A reliable friend. And that friend said, from within, because it's past midnight. And he from within shall answer and say, trouble me not. Now the word trouble, I've preached on this word many times, but let me just get your attention real quickly here. Because Jesus is going to bring this word back up six chapters later, seven chapters later. The word trouble means... To beat my chest. Lord, have mercy on me, for I'm a sinner. It's a word that Paul uses a lot in First and Second Thessalonians to describing labor. Laboring to a point where it hurts. And he says, trouble me not. Would you notice this next phrase? The door is now shut. And my children are with me in bed. Restriction number one, this man saw that he had nothing. Restriction number two was even harder. The door is now shut. We are praying so that God will open doors that are shut. We're learning tonight how God wants us to pray so that doors that are shut are open. And he makes a statement that is very, very, very mind-boggling. He says, the door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. Did you know something tonight? Every closed door has its children. Every closed door has his children, childrens of disappointment, childrens of defeat, children of distress. I mean, every closed door has its children. And he says here, this closed door, he says, the door is now shut. Now, you understand this tonight. When the door is shut, the door is closed. There's no matter what pressure you have from the outside, you're not going to open that door. And no matter what key you try, if you don't have the right key, you're not going to open the door. The only way that door is going to be open, the person on the inside is the one who opens that door. And if you're coming at somebody at midnight, which is a very extreme time, because did you notice this in this prayer? Jesus did not talk about this man coming the next day. He talked about coming at a time that was not comfortable to anybody. A time that most people felt like was an inconvenience. It was too hard. It was too difficult. He could have talked about a friend came to him in the morning. No, he didn't want us to see that. He wanted us to understand this man came at midnight. It came at a time when nobody else would be awake or stirring. He got up at midnight and to ask for something that was out of the norm. Listen, the norm was to ask for one loaf. The norm was to ask for one loaf. Beyond the norm was to ask for three loaves. And our problem when we pray is we only ask the norm and below the norm. We're either average or below average. Beyond the norm is asking God to do what God wants to do, but we're afraid to ask God what to do. He asked for three loaves at midnight. He came at a time when most people are sleeping. 
He came at a time when nobody else was concerned. But this man said, listen, I've got some friends that have come to my house and they're here and I don't want to wait till the morning and I've got to get some bread. And he said, sir, would you would you lend me three loaves? He said, would you would you would you be kind enough to lend me three loaves? He went beyond the norm, but the door was shut and the door was shut. The man said, don't is the door shut. My children are with me in bed. And you can imagine this man at that moment of time. He's feeling great discouragement because he's just been denied and he's had discouragement. He's had defeat. Let me tell you something tonight. If you're praying, keep on praying praying. And if you're praying right now, you just, you're discouraged because God not, doesn't seem to be at you until God tells you, no, you just keep on praying. Listen, just because God, God, God hasn't answered your prayer yet. Doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. And doesn't mean that that's not on the same page with God. It might mean God wants you to change your praying so that he can open that door. Notice verse seven again. Is he saying when the man says, I cannot rise and give thee He's saying that God doesn't want to answer our prayers. Is he saying God is not interested? Is he saying that God, 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 God is putting us through the ringer? No, he's not saying that. I want you to write this down. The principle Jesus wants us to understand in verse 7 is an impossible situation. There's no way the man on the outside can open the door to come in. It has to be open on the inside for the man who has the resources. Listen, if we're going to get God to do something, we've got to be able to open heaven's doors to get the resources of God given to us by God himself. Because, listen, man cannot give us what God can give us. Number three. We see the relationship. We see the restriction. Number three, would you notice the requirement? Go to verse eight. I want you to understand the picture here for just a minute. In fact, let me get three men. Brother Thomas, can you come to Dr. Chen? Would you come up here for a minute, Dr. Chen? Brother Jacob, Medina, could you come up here? You look hungry, Brother Jacob. This is, this is spontaneous. I, they don't even know what I'm going to ask them to do. All right. You're the friend, you're the friend right here who has the three loaves, door shut. Look mean, don't look happy, okay? You're the friend, you're the friend who came to my house, okay? And you didn't ask me to, but I want to help you. I want to give you some loaves. Watch what's going on here, okay? This friend number one, friend number two. Friend number one has been on a long journey. He's traveled a long time. He's not hungry, but his wife Lisa's hungry. Amen. And so, so he knows, but but he doesn't say anything because I'm the host. They've traveled a long way. They've come to my house, and I graciously accept them. In, you know, in, in the custom of that day, anybody came to your house, you accepted them in. You took them in. You, you extended hospitality. They didn't care where you put them to sleep. It was just nice. And uh, they've been traveling, and their food resources have been all exhausted. Their waters, their waters down. They didn't have anything, and it's late at night, and they didn't ask for anything. But they're at the house, and so I, I'm feeling really bad because my friend here, brother Jacob, is at my house, and uh, he probably is, is hungry and needs something to eat. And good hospitality is I want to take care of him, but my cupboards are empty because I just fed my family, and I. 
had Brother Justin as a son, so he ate up everything in there. Amen, you know? So everything's eaten up there. And so everything's gone. And so I don't know what I'm going to do. And so I'm thinking, well, what do I do here? Brother Jacob's being kind about it. And they're just, and I can hear their stomachs growling. And his, and his wife's stomach is growling even twice as much as his because she's really hungry. Amen. And so I want to take care of them. So I think, oh, I know what I'll do. My friend, Dr. Chen next door, Brother Thomas is right next door. And he's my friend. I mean, we hang out together and, and we do things together and we eat together. And, and he pays the bills sometimes and I pay the bills sometimes and we just get along and there's nothing he wouldn't do for me. And I'm thinking, you know, Brother Thomas will come, but certainly Thomas will help this situation there. But it's midnight. It's past midnight. It's dead quiet. It's, it's quiet as a mouse throughout the whole, the whole, the whole, the whole town in Hamlet. I mean, everybody's asleep there. I mean, all the lights are out. And I'm thinking, well, what am I going to do? And, and I said, but he's my friend. It's okay. He's my friend. I can come to him any time of the day and, 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 and I know he'll respond to me. And, and he's told me that before. He said, just come to me and I'll respond to you. So I'm, I'm in, I, I just get out of bed and I put my, my, put my normal clothes on and, and Brother Jacob's sitting down there just wondering, I wonder what you're going to do. And I said, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to get some food for you. And I'm just thinking, you know, I want to, I want to impress my friend that I'm able to, to give him more than just a norm. So I go next door to Brother Thomas. I go to Brother Thomas and I'm knocking on his door and I said, and he goes, I go, knock, knock. But he doesn't say who's there, Amen. you know, and I go knock, knock again. He doesn't say who's there. And finally he says, what do you want? That's his way of saying, trouble me not. It's kind of like his wife says, he says, get it done or trouble me not, Amen. you know. And so he says, so I knock on the door and he says, trouble me not. Because he knows my voice. He knows I'm there. He knows if you're knocking at the door at midnight, there's something you need. Now, if you knock at my door at midnight, you're going to hear a click. Amen. And ain't got a kind of click you're going to want to hear there. Okay. I need to go any further than that. But if you knock on the door, I mean, I'm knocking his door and he knows my voice. And he says, oh, what is it you need? I can't help you. The door is shut. It's bolted. It's latched. You can't come in. And on top of that, Jonathan's in bed with him. He's sleeping. All the children, he says, my children are with me in bed. And I'm thinking, wait. Friend number one, he has a need. Friend number two, he has the resources. I know he does. He can do it. And Jesus is teaching a principle because the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And here's where a lot of us are at. Listen, look up here. A lot of us are like this. We hear the first time, trouble me not. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. We stop praying. We think the first no or the non-response is God's way of saying, I don't want to hear you. I'm not interested in you. He said, I cannot rise and give thee. And so Jesus now goes to verse 8. You guys stay here for a minute. He gives, an, he gives a principle here. Though he will not rise and give him, because he's his friend. Now, in other words, he's saying, it looks like an impossible situation. He's my friend. But friendship is not what's going to open that door. Did you hear what I said? Friendship is not what's going to open that door. You get what I'm saying? Friendship's not going to open that door. Stop being buddy-buddy with God. Realize He's your Heavenly Father. Friendship's not going to open that door. He's the Heavenly... He Listen, He's the God of glory. 
He's the God who answers prayer. He's the God who is. Friendship's not going to open that door. It's going to be God who opens that door. Amen. So friendship's not going to open that door. He says, though he rise and give him because he's his friend. He said, I'm not going to do it based on friendship. He says, yet because of his importunity. What in the world is importunity? At least we sometimes say it's persistence. It's more than persistence. What in the world is importunity? What does importunity have to do with getting three loaves from him over to him? And by the way, do I gain anything out of it? No, you're not. The only thing you're supposed to gain is give glory to God. Amen. Amen. You're to be the conduit. You're learning the ministry of intercession. Okay? Friendship is not enough. And so he says here, yet because of his, whose importunity? Mine. My importunity. Because of his importunity. He will, he will give him, that is me, as much as he needeth. No restrictions, uninhibited, an open door. Because the moment he opens that door, he's going to lend me those three loaves and as much as I need. So I want you to notice with these, these two men are standing here. I want you to notice some things about importunity. Number one, there's the fearlessness of importunity. Importunity is fearless. The literal meaning of importunity, listen to this, means impudence or shamelessness. Having no shame. Oh, listen. Brother Dave, if I knocked on your door at midnight, I don't even think you'd open for me, amen? You'd probably send your son out to do it, okay? He'd probably kick me in the face or something there, okay, you know? I mean, you would be thinking, hey, listen, this is what you'd be thinking. What nut is knocking on my door at midnight? Doesn't he have any cooth? Doesn't he have any shame? But importunity is praying with shamelessness, impotence. Rashness, boldness, audacity, fear. Hey, listen, Mark Batterson, Mark Batterson is, 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 is not our stripe. He's not our stripe. But you ought to read some things he says about prayer. He talks about bold, audacious praying. He talks about praying that just blows your mind. And he's seen it happen. Now, he's not our stripe. But God's using that man, in fact, he's not our strength. God's using that man to do some things in Washington, D.C. nobody else is doing right now. And I'm going to tell you something tonight. If you're praying, it's like, well, I guess I knocked one time and Thomas is not going to answer the door. I guess I'm going to go away. That's why our prayers aren't getting answered. And guess what? He still has a need. Sinners still need to get saved. Missions are still needed on the mission field. Preachers still need to get called. Churches need to get filled up. Sunday school classes need to get started. Adult groups need to get started. Easter musicals need to happen. Souls need to get saved. College students get to need to be one to Christ at, at, at UC Berkeley. I'm telling you tonight, I mean, the need doesn't go away. He's still there at my house waiting for me to take care of that need. And listen, if all I do is just knock one time, it ain't going to happen. There's fearlessness. Bold, that's what we're told in Hebrews 4.16. Let us therefore come boldly, not shyly, not timidly, not waiting until another day. Let us come right now. Let us come with a sense of urgency. We have to realize tonight that importunity is fearlessness. Listen, Ian Bounds said this. 
important in praying is the earnest inward movement of the heart towards God. It is the throwing of the entire force of the spiritual man into the exercise of prayer. You think about that for a minute. Important in praying. Praise when other people will not. Don't pray when it's, con- when it's convenient. Pray because it's a conviction. Amen. Don't pray when you feel like you feel like it. Pray when you don't feel like it. He got up at midnight and came to him. In fact, when he came to my house, he woke me up. And I thought, well, if I let him in, certainly he'll open the door. He said, trouble me not. The door is now shut. Do you understand? All of our situation. Hey, listen. Ground zero. Ground zero for everybody when we pray, the door is already shut. That's, That's the situation we're facing. At ground zero in praying, that the ground is, the door is already shut. That's why we have to pray. That's why God wants us to pray. At ground zero, the door is shut. So there's fearlessness. Number two, would you write this down? There's the faith in importunate praying, in, in importunity. Asking for one for Brother Jacob, that's not faith. That's the minimum. Asking for three for Brother Jacob, that's faith. Because you know what? I haven't been in his house. I haven't been in his cupboard. If you understand about the Middle East in those days, they only baked enough bread for that day. I had faith to believe he had enough left over that he hadn't touched. That was waiting. Faith praying is knowing it's there even though you can't see it. Faith praying is moving that door that he gets out of door, he gets out of bed and he turns around and he opens that knob, he moves the latch, removes the bolt so that I can stand there and he looks at me and he's not angry with me. He's lovingly saying, here you go, you can have what you need. It's praying in faith. Listen to this. Faith praying is asking God to do what we cannot do. We need to get off this stuff of our weak, anemic praying of asking God to do what, what we can do. It's what He can do. Not what we can do. It's asking God, and I said this in verse 7, it's asking God to do what is impossible. So number one, it's fearless. Number two, it's faith. Hey, importunity, it's frequent. It's frequent. Look at, look, look at the transition here. Would you notice this? Verse 8, okay? I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity. Now, now those men, when they're hearing this word in the Greek, the word importunity, they're thinking, you're telling us to do what kind of praying? I mean, I don't know. I've never thought about being shameless in what I do. I'm a little bit reserved about being that bold and that audacious. He says, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as much as he needeth for him. So notice, he explains importunity. Go to verse 9. It's frequent. It's frequent. It is not one time. It is not two times. It is not three times. Sometimes it may be a few minutes. Sometimes it may be a few hours. Many times it's a few days and a few months. And I say unto you, notice now he takes it on a new level. I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. What's the word seeking talking about? He's talking about somebody looking for hidden treasure. 
Knock and it shall be open to you. Now it's starting to make sense to these disciples because the disciples are around there. These common men are around there. Listen to Jesus explain what, what is involved with prayer. He's just explained to them the principles in prayer. But now he's taking them a step further. He's explaining to them how do you get God to open doors that are shut. And now we use this example that was very common in the day. Someone coming out of the blue, coming to your home. They haven't eaten for a long period of time. You're trying to be a good host. You want to take care of them, but you don't want to just give them the minimum. You want to go beyond the minimum to help encourage them. You want them, you want to satisfy them. You want to meet their need. By the way, how many understand tonight? Whenever a person gets saved, it's not enough they get saved. We want them to grow in the Lord. Amen. You want them to serve God and do more. Well, listen, we're not just intent in giving them the one loaf that gets them saved. I'm going to give them the second loaf that gets them disciple and the third loaf that gets them involved in serving God. Amen. And so he has the capability of doing that. And so Jesus said, asking you shall receive and seeking you shall find. But then he says something that started to make sense because in verse 6 and 7, he talked about a door being shut. And he talked about in verse 6, I have nothing. He says, knock and it shall be opened unto you. Now asking he's talking about repeatedly. Brother Thomas. Brother Thomas. Seeking, saying, are you there? Are you there? Knock, knock. Knock, knock. Knock, knock. And finally... Incessant knocking. Brought someone yesterday. I'm thankful I always have my wife with me because she knocks a few more times more than I do and she rings that doorbell more than I do. Amen. That's good. Check the first house we went to. That ring doorbell. You know, they ring the ring doorbell, they can see you. Amen. That's a good thing. I want them to see me. I want them to see. I stand back so they can see me. And so we rang it. Nobody answered. But the window shades are open. She heard a rustling. She hears better than me. She can hear the rustling. She rang the doorbell the second time. I rang first and she rang second time. She said, there's somebody there. I hear it. And then, then all of a sudden she rang a third time. The guy said, uh, I'm busy right now. I thought, man, what a great illustration for my message tonight. Amen. <laughs> I'm busy right now. I said, I cannot come right now. And I, we said, well, I said, hey, this is Pastor Fong and Mrs. Fong here and can we come and see you? And the guy let us in. Spent 45 minutes with him. Amen. You know, I should have asked for three loaves. Amen. Importunity in praying is frequent. Do you quit when you should keep praying? Are you hot and cold, cold and hot? You wait till an evangelist comes in like Tom Farrell. Brother Sam Davison will be with us later this year. Praise God. Great expository preachers who preach the word of God and rip the hide off your back and my back. And then you get burned about it. And you start praying again. And then six weeks later, you're back in the same place again. He's telling us importunity in praying is frequent. Dr. Rice is right. All of our failures are prayer failures. We failed to pray. But I want you to see something else. There's the, it's fearless. There's faith. It's frequent. But write this down. This is going to help you tonight. We're almost done. There's the few. Watch what Jesus says here. I'm not done yet. I've still got Brother Jake and Brother Thomas here. Verse 9. He blows their minds open of consistent, constant repetition. Not vain repetition, 
but constantly coming before the throne of grace. Would you notice verse 10? And listen very carefully. Because Jesus explains to us three critical levels of of importunity in praying. Would you notice this? For everyone that asketh. Would you notice this? Look up here. Everyone here is at level one. Everyone asks. Everyone asks. He asks. He asks. I ask. Everyone that asks. That's the basic level of prayer. Level number two. Look at this. He didn't say everyone in level two. He said some. And he that seeketh findeth. Level one, everyone asks. Level two, some go a little bit further and they're searching. They're searching. Now that's good. That's good. Don't get me wrong. Asking is good. Asking you shall receive. Ahaz was told to ask. He said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. But you're to ask. But you're also to seek. And the word seek has the same idea there in Luke chapter. And again, you have to read all of the the gospel of Luke to understand somehow Jesus weaves all this together. The gospel of Luke chapter, I think it's chapter 15. He talks about the lost silver. Remember that? A woman, the lost silver represented the dowry a woman received when she when she was uh, for her marriage. And it was a headband made of silver coins. Silver is a picture of redemption. That was, she was not supposed to lose that. And this headband, for whatever reason, was not carefully woven together. The metal chains were not woven together. And one of the silver coins fell off and she lost her house. Now, remember, they didn't have electricity like you and I. We could, we could flip out a switch and turn. They had to depend on candlelight and if they could do a fire in there, which probably wasn't a good idea there. But they had to depend upon some kind of firelight. And so if she lost that silver coin, which represented her dowry, that was a bad thing. It was a shameful thing for a woman to wear, a, wear her dowry headband with that silver coin missing. And so the silver coin's missing, and she searches diligently in her house, that little hut, to find it. Remember, they lived on dirt floors, or they didn't have hardwood floors like you and I. I mean, that's a modern invention. Those days, the commonality was to live on dirt floors. And she had to search about it, because perhaps along the way, when, when she, by the time she found out, found out that she lost this coin, she realizes that, man, all the dust is covered up, and she's sweeping it all over there fervently. That's searching. God is saying, to search until you find God. But that's not importunity yet. Look at verse 10 again. Only a few do the knocking. And that's a small number. Level one, everyone asks. Level two, some venture to seek. But level three, only a few. Look how he phrases that. And to him that knocketh. It's almost an invitation. It's almost a challenge. In fact, it is a challenge. To him that knocketh. Watch what's going on. He comes to my house. I want to take care of him. I knock once. In fact, I just shut up. In fact, we're not even told in verse 7 that he knocked on the door. He probably was afraid. I don't want to make too much commotion. Wake up the rest of the neighbors. But he asked. And he said, trouble me not. The door is now shut. 
So I'm searching and thinking, wait, what am I going to do? And I'm thinking of other ways. Finally, I'm desperate because I need three loaves and I know he has the resource to provide those three loaves. So guess what I'm doing? I'm knocking. And this is the illustration Jesus is trying to pound home to them. This man is knocking. He's knocking. He's knocking. He's knocking. He's knocking. He says, you know what? I'm going to keep knocking until Thomas opens that door because he's the only one on this street, the only one in this village that has the resource to take care of what Jacob needs. And I've just decided, you know what? I don't care it's at midnight. I don't care what kind of shame it brings. I don't care how bold it looks. I don't care how I'm criticized. I don't care if I lose my sleep. I don't care if it's at midnight. All I care about is I care about him. Listen, when you start caring for sinners like that, God's going to start doing something. He kept knocking on that door, knocking on the door. Finally, Thomas said, the Bible, this is how Jesus explained what he did. He said, yet because of his importunity. Importunity, you just... Lord, are you there? Lord, I need you. Lord, I'm not going until you open that door. Because you know what? God's the only one who can open that door. It's a Bible principle. He opens the doors that no man can open. Right there is a door that no one can open. Now to drive it home, you guys can go sit down. Thank you. God God bless you. Let's give him a big hand. Amen? Amen. So tell me you're with me. Say amen if you're with me. Okay, now watch this. Watch this. Level one, everyone asks. Level two, some seek. I'm not making this up. This is Bible. This is here. Level three, only a few knock. To him that knocketh. There's the problem. Now to drive that home further, go with me to chapter 18. Quickly, hurry. Leading into chapter 18, Jesus has talked about, has talked, has taught them about the day of the Lord. He's teaching about the tribulation period. When you read about this phrase that, that, uh, when the Son of Man cometh, he's not talking about the rapture. He's talking about the same, the same phraseology of the day of the Lord. This is not the rapture. When the Son of Man reveals himself, that's the second coming. No man shall see Jesus at the rapture. Amen? You get to chapter 18. Now notice, He's, he's reinforcing a principle that he just talked seven chapters before. And he says, first of all, men ought always to pray and not to faint. In other words, he's saying, listen, you're going to have times of discouragement. And people will turn against you. And they will hate the Bible. And they will hate Christians. And they will, they will say bad things about us. But he says, don't give up. Don't faint. Keep on praying. Amen. Listen, the only remedy that can get you out of discouragement and out of de- and from going into depression and having an emotional breakdown and all of these other things, the only remedy the Bible gives is right here in, 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 in Luke 18, 1, we must pray. We must pray. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. Okay, things may go upside down. You may even lose everything financially, but keep on praying. Your health may go out the window, but keep on praying. Your friends may leave you, but keep on praying is what he's saying. Now watch what happens. Now Jesus uses another colorful illustration. In verses 3 and 4, we have the story here of a widow. Now widow had nothing. There was no social security. There was no public assistance. Widows had nothing. When I say destitute, I mean they had nothing. They were the poorest of the poorest. And, and they could sometimes be a little bit annoying because to make their ends meet, they had to beg. And to make their ends meet... 
They had to do whatever they could to get a job. And many times, if you study your scriptures carefully and you go back and study those days, widows were taken advantage of by the common people that day. And so this widow, notice we're told here, there was a widow in that city. And notice verse 3, she came to this unjust judge. Now, the judge is not God. This judge, in fact, he's a very terrible person. He's very difficult. He was not God-fearing. He had no respect to people. And uh, even by his own testimony, verse 4, he says, Though I fear not God nor regard man. Now, he's not a picture of God. You know what he's a picture of? Write this down. You know what he's a picture of? He's he's a picture of, of an impossible situation. Just like we saw in chapter 11. He's a picture of an impossible situation there. Because no one could persuade this man. He was known as being someone that was non-persuasive. You could not persuade him. And so notice in verse 3, here's this widow, verses 2 and 3. Here's this woman, verse 3 and 4, this woman, this widow, verse 3. And she comes to him. And notice her phrase, avenge me of my adversary. You know what she's talking about there? She was being sued. Now, if you've never been through a lawsuit, you don't know, you don't know what you're missing. You'll lose sleep on a lawsuit. It'll bleed you to death. Lawsuits are bad. They're the 21st century version of persecution. You know, if the devil could sue this church, that would shut us down. She's being sued. She's been made to look like a bad person. She's a defendant for something bad, for something she did not do. But she doesn't have the resources to get herself out of this mess. She does not have the capability. She doesn't have the legal finesse. She doesn't have the, she doesn't have the financial finesse. She doesn't have anything to get herself out of this mess. So she thinks in herself, look what it says here. She came to him. She said, there's only one hope. I've got to go to this judge and change his mind. Now that's an impossible situation based on what I just told you. Okay? And the Bible says in verse 4, he would not for a while. A long period of time went by, and he wasn't listening to her. But you know what she did? She kept coming back. And 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 she kept coming back. Finally, what you notice what happened here. In verse 4, he says, Though I fear not God, nor regard man. Notice verse 5. Yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her, notice this, continual coming. She wearied me. And Jesus goes on by saying, hear what the unjust judge saith. Shall not God avenge his own elect? Notice this next phrase here. Which cry day and night unto him. And so we look at the principle of importunity. We need to knock frequently. We need to knock fervently. We need to knock with extreme focus. We need to knock with faith. We did knock with fearlessness. Listen, the Bible is replete with stories of people who were, who had importunity to pray. Go with me to Genesis 18 and you see Abraham having, exercising importunity as prayer for God to intervene for him on behalf of his nephew Lot in the city of Sodom. What was he doing? Sodom had a need, just like Brother Jacob was using and Brother Thomas. He had a need and he came to God and says, God, I need, I'm praying for my nephew Lot. Hey, Elijah's example of importunity in praying. He stays at a widow's home. Her young son passes away. She brings her son down and says, she says, here, my son's dead because of you. And he says, give me your son. He takes the son back up to the loft where she had allowed him to live. And he puts the boy on the loft and he goes to God three times in prayer. That's a picture of importunity. He goes three times to God in prayer and God raises that boy back up to life. 
Elisha learned about that. During the 10 years Elisha is around Elijah, Elijah is sharing with him and telling him everything he learned in ministry. He's asking all the right questions. You say, how come we don't read about anything about Elisha except for the fact he poured water in Elijah's hands? Because he was more busy serving and asking questions than trying to be Mr. Big Shot during that period of time. He was learning the ministry and learning the road by asking the questions and trying to figure out, man, I've got a long way to go. I've got to learn how to pray like this man prays. And later on, Elisha gets the same opportunity because he goes to Shunammite woman and he prays for that woman and he, God takes her infertile womb and helps her to bear a child. She bears a child and not long after that boy, many a few years later, he dies of a heat stroke and then she takes that boy, puts him on Elisha's bed. Somewhere's Elisha's bed. She heard about the same story and Elisha goes into that room and he puts that stick down and he lays on and the Bible says he laid himself on that boy three times. He went to him once and he went to him again and went to him another time and he put eyeball to eyeball, mouth to mouth. And listen, he made contact with a dead body and brought that body back to life. You look at Daniel there in Daniel chapter 6, long before they threw him in the lion's den, they passed the law against him. His own peers did him in. His own peers said, we don't like what you're about. Your peers are going to do you in. Don't be buddy-buddy with the unsaved people. They're going to do you in one day. They did him in. And they basically said, listen, we don't want him. We know there's only one way we can take advantage of, of, of Daniel. We've got to pass the law against him and his God. They made it illegal to pray to the God of Israel. But you know what? That didn't change Daniel because we read in one verse for many days before that, he did as a, the Bible says he did as a four-time. He got on his knees. He opened the windows. He got his knees and he bowed in God in prayer morning, evening, noon. He kept doing the same thing. He knew it was coming down. He knew he'd be thrown to that fiery furnace because he saw the law. He was a legislator. He knew what was going to happen. He knew what it was all about. You know what he was doing? He was preparing himself for that lion's den. He said, God, that's impossible. I'm not sure what you're going to do. And he's thinking, probably God, if they were going to eat me, let them eat me. At least they're going to have a holy meal for one time. Amen. But he says, even if they don't eat me, I want God to do something. I believe Daniel was praying for God to shut the lion's mouth. I really believe Daniel knew he was going to be thrown to that lion's den and began praying ahead of time. Listen, Listen, sometimes there's situations God puts in your life. You know exactly what looks like is going to happen. It's going to be pretty bad. God does that so you and I could pray for him to do something that we cannot do. And you think with me tonight of a bad diagnosis. And you think with me tonight of an irreversible financial situation. And you think with me tonight with a situation that emotionally that's irreversible. You don't think anybody can change it. No, man cannot change it, but God can change it. Esther had importunity in prayer. She touched the scepter of the king three times. What's the starting point? Men ought always to pray, not to faint. Listen to the inbounds. We're almost done. There can be no question, but that important, importunate prayer moves God and heightens human character. If we were more with God in this great ordinance of intercession, more brightly would our face shine, more richly endowed would life and service be. By the way, Christians who have import, who pray importunately, they're happy Christians. That's what he's saying there. If we were if we were more with God in this great ordinance of intercession, more brightly would our face shine, more richly endowed would life and service be, with the qualities which earn the goodwill of humanity and bring glory to the name of God. And to that I say, Amen. How do you wrap it up? There's a relationship. We have a father. We have a friend. There's a restriction. We're handicapped. I have nothing. And there's a hindrance. The door is now shut. There are the requirements. We must be fearless. We must have faith. We must be frequent. But we have to realize only a few will do it. Everybody's on board tonight. Everybody's on board. Are you on board tonight? 
prison board night, but only few will do it. Only few. Let's come back to this six months from now and see how many are left. But I want you to see the reward as we close tonight. Quickly. In verse 8, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. What's your need tonight? Do you know what you need tonight? Can you articulate to God what your need is tonight? He will give him as many as he needeth. The only fault I found with that man that had the friend come to him, he only asked for three loaves. What if he asked for five loaves? He would have given it to him. Because he knew that man had the resources. Then notice this. Verse 9. Verse 9 says, It shall be given, he shall find, and it shall be opened unto you. Here's our problem about reaching the 1040 window. There needs to be more of this. Open the door. Look at verse 13. How much more? How much more shall your heavenly Father give? Now, why is he saying the Holy Spirit in verse 13? And then when we, we read the same thing that Jesus teaches in Matthew, Matthew chapter 7, he says good things because he's teaching, he's different, dealing with two different groups of people. And as you read the context in the rest of chapter 11, he's dealing with the need for the power of God. We don't need to pray for the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit lives in us, amen? But we need to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we pray for the power of the Holy Spirit, we're praying for God to kill off the, the sin in our life and kill the junk in our life so that, we, that the Spirit can control us. Notice something else here. In chapter 18, go back to chapter 18 very quickly. I want you to see one, one other thought here. In chapter 18, he says, I will avenge her. He says, you know what? I'm going to put an end to this lawsuit. I'm going to stop this nonsense right here. And then you read the rest of chapter 18. Did you know if you read the rest of chapter 18, the whole context, it fits right there in chapter 18. Jesus is dealing with prayer and getting answers from God. We get to the end of the chapter. We, we hear about blind Bartimaeus. And blind Bartimaeus, Jesus is passing through Jericho there. And blind Bartimaeus hears this commotion of all these people coming by as he's coming near to Jericho. And he was a blind man sitting by the wayside begging. He couldn't see. He had never seen before in his life. And he hears all this commotion. He was listening very carefully. They said, what's going on? And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is coming by. And he thought, man, I heard about him. And he hadn't seen Jesus. He hadn't seen what Jesus did. But he heard what Jesus did. And he believed. Hey, that's better than us. We've seen some things, but we don't believe. He heard some things and he believed. And notice what happens. The Bible says in verse 38, he cried saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy. He said, he cried out. I mean, he's asking. And the people around him said, shh, shh, be quiet. You're too noisy. Don't you have any shame? And the Bible says this in verse 39, he cried so much the more. And Jesus stopped for that man. Can you imagine what's going on in the minds of these people? In chapter 11, he's taught them the principle of the importunity in prayer. In chapter 18, he's reinforcing it. And now we see in live action, once again, they see this passing this blind man, this blind man who had not been there, who had not seen or heard anything. This blind man is doing exactly what Jesus taught them about importunity in prayer. He's crying out with importunity. He has no shame, no impudence about it. He says, I need help. I want Jesus. Don't tell me to be quiet. I'm going to keep on knocking. I'm going to keep on asking. And Jesus answers this man and we're done. He says, what wilt thou? That I should do unto thee. And that's what I close with you tonight. What is it you want God to do for you? Tonight on the way out, if you haven't gotten one, I want you to get one of these Christ walk journals. We're slowly walking through different discipleship groups. How to pray.
Now, what I taught you tonight from God's Word, God's Word teaches you how to pray. But this book is a tool that helps you to have structure to your prayer life. To structure your prayer life so you approach God with adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, etc., etc. It's a great theological help to you. It'll help you understand who God is and how God answers prayer. And what it does, it basically helps us to keep a journal of our prayer time with God. And you know what? Part of our, part of our need right now is we just need to humble ourselves and to ask God, Lord, teach me how to do the right thing here. And as you go through this book, it just gives you a structure so that you can write down things and keep notes on what God's doing there. I want to challenge you tonight to go to the school of hard knocks. You need to do some heavy knocking for God to answer prayer. It must be fearless. It must have faith. It must be frequent. But there's only the few. Will you be among the few that will be like that man? Without any shame, friend, lend me three loaves. And he gave him as much as he needed. Can you fathom with me? A church filled with people praying like that. What God could do. What could happen to the Bay Area. If nothing else, all of us who have unsaved relatives, that ought to burden our hearts how to pray for unsaved relatives right now. You're not going to win them to Christ through logic. You're not going to win them to Christ just by argumentation. Now, Paul reasoned with them, but I guarantee you, Paul prayed for them. And he saw the fruits that he did, the fruit that he did, because he knew, he knew how to do importunate praying. He talked about himself. That's why he said pray without ceasing. Praying without ceasing is praying with importunity. That's what he's talking about there. And he said praying always. And he said men ought always to pray. And he said, he said, I will that first of all, the prayer, supplication, intercession, and giving thanks be made to all men. So it's repeated throughout the Bible. And I will tell you tonight as we close, it's the will of God that there's importunity in our praying. If we ask anything... And it be according to his will. He heareth us. I'll tell you God's will is that there's importunity in our praying. Will you accept the challenge tonight? Will you obey the Lord? Will you have faith? Will you be fearless? Will you be among the few? Father, tonight we thank you for this passage of scripture that needs to be taught. Explains to us the kind of praying that pleases God. And forgive us tonight for prayerlessness, lack of faith, even vain repetitions, not having that private place where we can meet with God. And tonight, thank you, this encouraging passage that speaks to us, the kind of praying that opens heaven's doors. Level one, everyone asks. Level two, some seek. Level three, and to him only a few will knock. And knock persistently. And knock frequently. And Lord, tonight I'm thankful there's some in this room who've gotten saved that because there was importunate prayer, there's a lot of knocking. And once again, Lord, as a church, we humble ourselves to you to knock. And it might be, Lord, tonight, the first prayer for some people here tonight might be just accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior. Or realizing the first prayer that, God, you're going to hear is that prayer when we 
that's spoken of in Romans 10.9. When we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that God is raised from the dead. I pray for those tonight who are not saved. They'd realize tonight that you love them. And the bread to receive tonight is the bread of life, Jesus Christ. He's the bread that can feed every hungry soul and satisfy every need. And he gives everlasting life to those who take him. And I pray for sinners tonight who are not saved that they'd accept Christ this evening. They would lovingly accept the bread of life into their life to be saved. Would you challenge every one of us this evening about our praying? Certainly, Lord, there needs to be importunity in our praying. Lord, there's some things you've identified and shown me that, Lord, I just feel so overwhelmed with this evening. And I pray the same would be said of our church. We'd be feeling the sense of overwhelmingness, of needing to accept what God want, what you want us to do. Father, move us tonight. I pray for a great movement of prayer and acceptance of what you want, that the perfect will of God be done. Jesus taught us to pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And God, your will is that there be importunity in our praying. God, help us tonight. Thank you. You're our Father and you're our friend. We come to you tonight in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, that you'd work in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Let's stand. I invite you to come tonight. Would you be a partner in prayer? Would there be importunity in your praying? How about it tonight? Now, God, help us tonight. Everybody should feel the burden about importunity in praying. Don't you have a lost person that you're concerned about? Don't you have a situation in your life that you're burned about? It's an impossible situation. And by the way, if you don't have one now, you will have one. You will have one. You will have one. Let's stop trying to do things on our own. Do you trust Him? You can't push doors open that only God can open. That's why, that's why we're, we're facing the frustration, the difficulties we have. How about it tonight? It must be fearless. It must be in faith. It must be frequent, but there's only a few. Would you take it tonight? Would you do it this evening? Pray without ceasing. Jabez prayed, Oh, that thou wouldst bless me indeed and enlarge my coast, and that thy hand may be upon me, that it may not see evil. And the Bible says, The Lord granted him that which he requested. He had importunity in his praying. Abraham had importunity in his praying. Samuel had importunity in his praying. Elijah had importunity in his praying. Elisha had importunity in his praying. Paul had importunity in his praying. Moses had. Listen, you, you trace every Bible character. They all had it. How about us? Father, there are many, many needs we have. In humility, we ask, Lord, teach us to pray. Dismiss us with your blessing tonight. Help us to find that place. The Bible says, Jesus, they saw him praying in a certain place. We need that certain place. We need to pray as Jesus prayed. Increase our faith. Give us the determination, the desire to see God's will be done. We'll thank you for what you've done in our life. Thank you for what you've already helped us to decide upon. We give this to you and commit this to you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.